seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 197 of Color of Magic, your magic gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 197 episodes, still got my main man, Brian Allen, hanging with me to 200. How's it going, dude? It is going. Tricky-lading the ball down the field, if I bring up my favorite hang and so many people's favorite hang stream quote. I swear, I just said that like at 200, we're, we're killing you or something. I said, hang in with me for 200. Like it's some, something's going to happen at 200. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, what are you? <laughs> is this in the Logan's run type thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like executed no. 200 episodes. There, there are no awful plans after 200. We're okay. Good to know. Though, okay. So this isn't necessarily gaming related, but... People know we like to joke about conspiracy theories or whatever on here because there's just some idiotic ones. But there's actually like a real one that's become it started as a conspiracy and became not a conspiracy very quickly with the uh, whole song of freedom thing. So for people that don't know what that is, it's a movie that's out right now. And it's it's a plot supposedly based on a real thing about some, I'm assuming, ex-military guy who discovers some child trafficking or child kidnappings or something and he's trying to basically get the kids back it's 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 like an american propaganda liam neeson taken kind of situation yeah it apparently sensationalizes the amount of child trafficking that's actually going on (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. everything i've heard about it that people have described like it's not one it's oh you're right over sensationalizing what it not that it's not a bad thing because it absolutely is but definitely pushing it to the nth degree and the methods and things they're showing from what it sounds like are not very realistic on how that happens. So it's whatever, but they had a huge crowdfunding thing for it. Cause I did a deep dive to figure out like how deep does this go? So there's a huge crowdfunding thing on a site. I have it in my notes here. It's a site called angel funding, which I guess like the term angel investor, people can give you big money to help get your projects off the ground or whatever. At some point, after they were done making the movie, they went to Angel Funding to raise a bunch of money, which they raised like $5 million, between 7,134 backers. So, I don't know, Let's what's that? $5 million divided by 7,134. So, if you want to know roughly what each person spent. So, $700 average per backer. Like, that's that's a big chunk of money. And obviously... Not everybody put in $700. So there's some really big backers in there that probably put 10 grand, 30 grand, 50 grand, while some people just gave like 50 bucks or 100 bucks that they could give. Now, the thing about angel funding is it's supposed to have, it's like a bunch of other sites, some others that we've talked about, like WeFunder and stuff like that. But basically, you're supposed to get some kind of return on your investment if the movie makes money or whatever. They have a lot of their jargon and slogan stuff like not correctly worded if you know anything about investments. So that's already questionable within their little write up. But anyway, the conspiracy really comes down to people saw that these showings at various theaters were sold out. And they're like, wow, I didn't realize it was that popular. 
And people saw some of the numbers from the first week and went like, well, wow, this made like the second or third most amount of money this week. Oh, that's crazy. But then when people started going to these theaters and realizing there's no noise, no nothing, no people walking in out of them, people started checking in and realizing there are literally zero to like six people in these sold out theaters. And it's not in one area. It's across the country. So somebody is somehow canvassing these theaters and buying these seats. Now, I will tell you, on the angel funding site, they did have a link where people could buy tickets for people or gift tickets or whatever. So Yeah, the, the, that's become a big thing in conservative circles because they're pushing that everybody needs to see this movie because it gives you the, the real deal on child trafficking, even though that's not. I mean, as much as any movie, even the ones that are based on a true story, give you the... That's like saying, you know, I don't know... Uh, it's like saying Dirty Harry gives you the real scoop on uh, police work. No, it's, it's still a movie. But that's even crazier because people aren't even going to see it. Like there are people literally all over social media. There's people working at movie theaters, whatever, that are showing footage of nobody in these seats. Like they're showing you their app where the seats are sold out and then walking right into the same theater at the same time. And there's nobody in there. But people are talking about it. Were we going to talk yeah, about it's uh, true. Were we going to talk about a movie, you know, that, that neither one of us has seen and sounds like not very many other people have seen? No, but because there's a huge PR campaign, we're giving time on our our little corner of the media landscape to it. So but this, this is where the conspiracy you. comes in, though, for me, is that people want this to be so prevalent that somebody or some groups of somebodies are spending huge money, literally millions of dollars to raise the profile of the movie to being the number, hopefully, I guess they're trying to push it to number one. Right now, you'd have to beat uh, Mission Impossible, I think, is the number one in the box office right now. So, yeah, it's depending on, I mean, it would depend on who's, who's into this and how much of their own money they'd like to burn. Exactly. But then it becomes a weird thing of, okay, so the movie's going to be upside down a pile of money, right? Because you can't just buy all these seats and nobody going and just not make anything from it. So that's going to be weird. Anyway. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can. Because I think. I don't I, know. I, maybe the movie money goes back to the studio. Some percentage yeah, I think of the it's seats, the point but... that it's in the theater. The movie company's already been paid. It's how much, you know. So, yeah, the, the theater will take a bath because theaters make their money on selling you $10 candy bars and Cokes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they, they won't lose money, but they won't make as much as they could because nobody's going to be there. Right. So that's going to be a thing. So, yeah, it's a very weird thing. I know we went a little deep on this, but like, yeah, if you hear about it, this is what it is. This is what people are talking about. I thought it was fun because I went, ooh, this would be a fun conspiracy. But then when I deep dived, it's like, ah, it's not really a conspiracy. It's just somebody trying to raise the profile of a pretty mediocre movie, but that's very well loved within the QAnon circles. And that's what's pushing it up. That's the the thing. They are correct in feeling that, you know, the whole, I guess, Christian movie audience is being underserved, as is, you know, the black movie audience. Yes. Problem is, these the movies that do this tend to not be quality movies. They tend to be, I, I haven't seen this one, but I just let me just throw one of the, I guess, kind of the, the, the archetype for the, hey, Christian movie really pushing, the God's Not Dead series. It stars Kevin Sorbo, who other than these type of movies hadn't worked in probably, what, 20 years? <laughs> Yeah, it's just that they 
I, I absolutely believe there are opportunities in the space. It's just almost without fail. And, and not just here, video games. I would love a video game that actually tells some of the great stories from the Bible and doesn't sanitize them. Because that's part of the problem with most biblical video games is it's so sanitized that by the end, it has nothing to do with the actual biblical story that it's telling. That's fair. You know, I think there's ways we could do it. Because there, there, let's be, there's a whole lot of bloodshed in the Bible. If you, if you did like, let's, g- oh give sure, me, sure, g- give me a game that shows Samson slaughtering a bunch of people with the jawbone of an ass. I'd play that game, dude. Didn't you it, see the, God the war? You I know? think it was Utah actually went okay. Cool. If this is what all y'all want, you want to ban all the books that have like sexuality, blood, violence, blah blah, whatever. Like, cool. Then we have to put the Bible on the list. Yeah, and that was it. And people are like, wait, wait, no, 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 not like that. <laughs> like, like, this is what you asked for. It, it was the rules. Bible's got adultery. It's got bloodshed, murder, all of the things you said you didn't want. It's wild, it man. Talk, it's wild. It, it even talks about, you know, homosexuality. So, yeah, you write your own definition. Bible's on the list. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, yeah, let's get into stuff because we got a few things to cover this week. Uh, but before we get into all that, I want to tell you, like always, go check out the people over at CoolStuffInc.com. The cool part about Cool Stuff, the cool part about Cool Stuff, I didn't do that on purpose, but there you go. The cool part about Cool Stuff is that you can go over there and literally get all types of game stuff. I think people hear us talk about magic and whatever, and we're like, okay, cool, I can get magic, I can sell them cards, whatever. But they actually have stuff for like board games, D&D, Heroclix, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever you want to get. If you want to get all your nerd stuff there, go do it. And then use code DRAGON because they'll give you 5% off at checkout. And you'll be supporting us. And it'd be great. So go pay them some love over there. Then, of course, if you just want to give us just a little bit of money directly every month to help us out, you can go over to patreon.com slash color of magic. And honestly, another thing you could do to help the show out, wherever you downloaded this from, wherever you're listening it from, give it a five-star rate every show say like this was fun we like this topic we like that you talk about these things whatever it is that you enjoy just give it a five star highlight it so that way they start recommending it more in the apps when people are looking for a gaming podcast magic podcast whatever that'll help us out quite a bit you'll be doing us a big favor but now let's get into the soap box so one of the things i want to talk about this week is I had a video that went up as of this recording two days ago. And it was titled Doubling Those Triggers because it's got Ishin that whenever you have an attack trigger, it happens a second time, you know. You would not believe the number of people that thought they were being creative literally responding with comments, something along the lines of, Double those N-words, quotes. And it's like, really? One, you didn't even try very hard. Like, I tell you before, obviously nobody likes racism, but I, I'm almost more bothered that you come with just like grade school level things. Like, at least give me something fun or creative or something I never heard of before. I mean, hell, we're adults at this point. Like, you can do better. But the fact that the video at that point had been up, I think like four hours three hours and I'd already had to report and ban like three different accounts. And that's not in and of itself that big a deal. 
I mean, it is. It's racism, whatever, obviously. But it's not like something that doesn't happen on a weekly basis. But the bigger issue is I shared it just as a point of reference was saying like, man, this video didn't even make it till morning and I already had to ban three people for using the N word or whatever. And I put that stuff out there just as a reminder. like, hey, this stuff still happens. Like this is in real time what's going on. Right. So it's never like, well, you never mentioned it before. If it's that big a deal, why didn't you say something? OK, cool. Here's here's the receipts. Right. We're putting it out there. But then you have a lot of people who are trying to make it sound like they believe, oh, well, the magic community is so toxic right now. And I said, this ain't just a community thing. Like, this is the whole thing we talk about when I'm telling you, like, there's a reason I don't play games with Chad anymore. <laughs> like, like, there's a reason I don't play League of Legends no more. Like, this is all over the place. Now, does it still exist within the magic community? Absolutely. I would say less so than some other communities I am and have been a part of, <laughs> but it's still out there. But I think when people fall back and say like, oh, well, this our community is terrible and our community shouldn't have this or like. I f it always feels like it's a little misunderstood or misguided and saying like, yes, it's in our community. And yes, it's something we could deal with. And yes, it's something we should stamp out. But it's not originating here. This is a societal problem. This is a people problem. Like, this is nothing compared to some of the stuff I dealt with when I had my store. I mean, literally had people accusing me of dealing drugs out of the back of my business. Had people threatening to burn the shop down, literally just because I owned it. You know, hell, being called the N-word and told N-word shouldn't be in charge of events in front of their own kids. <laughs> like... And none of those were magic related. And those are still recent. Hell, some of those happened in the last 10 years. So when I see people saying like, oh, this is a magic thing and the magic community is about like, no, it's it's not a magic thing. Does it exist here? Yes. Just like it does in a lot of places. But we're not even the worst offenders. So let's deal with it still. Let's deal with it as a whole. Let's try to get rid of it because we need to. Everything should be more welcoming. Nobody should be threatened or called racial slurs or whatever. Hell, I didn't even. I think one of the things that was bothersome. Is it's not even like you hated the video and then had something negative to say and then slapped on the N word as an insult or something like you just rolled with that. And that was your comment. Like you obviously didn't even watch the video or give a damn about it. Like that was more bothersome to me, even than just say use the N word. It was like, come on, really? That's the best you got? Like, come on. But this comes back to when we talk, when I, I try to tell people, like I knew outright, I'm going to grow slower than some other creators. It's not going to grab people as much as some other creators do, no matter what. Even though I do think my production is better than a lot of the other people, I do think I put more effort in than a lot of the other people. And don't be wrong, I'm not saying I put the most of any of those. I think there's some other people that do definitely better editing and stuff than I do, whatever. I, If I just put them all in a box, I'd say, yeah, I'm probably top 10, top five in some of those categories. I don't think I'm the best at any of them. But I knew that because being different, looking different, whatever, was going to be a hurdle for a lot of people like this. There's going to be a lot of those people, we've talked about it before, they've gone in and just give a bunch of down votes or whatever within the first 10 minutes of the video being up. 
when it's a 45 minute video. So I know they didn't even watch it. You know, so stuff like that happens all the time. But just putting this out here is like just a point of reference and another reminder of like this stuff still happens in real time. People see those comments. People talk about things. You know, it just is what it is. But don't think that it's just a magic thing. Don't think that it's originating because of magic or wizards or blah, blah, or any of that stuff. Like, it's a societal problem. It's a people problem. And you got to deal with it from that perspective if you really want to get rid of it. But yeah, keep fighting against it, but just understand where it's coming from. What you got, Brian? All right. You know, this is, uh, I don't know if this is the first time I've done this. It feels like it is, where we're basically the soapbox is almost like it's a sequel to last week's What Did, what did We Learn? But, uh, you know, we had a great step forward last week talking about Tracy Chapman being the, the first uh, black woman to have a number one country song credit as a songwriter and mainstream country music. We, we, we had a step forward. We jumped into General Lee and drove a couple of thousand miles backwards, y'all. One of the longest running themes in country music is, you know, that everything is better, better, slower, less hectic in small towns. And, you know, and we've gotten some great songs from that. This is not one of them. Country megastar Jason Aldean has a new song where he apparently openly longed for the days when you could beat up black people with no legal repercussions. His song, Try That in the Small Town, is so angry. It makes uh, Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, sound like 70s-era Barbara Mandrell. It's not threatening at all. Some of the lyrics in this song. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long. What? <laughs> but according to, to Jason, this is not a pro-lynching song. And if you got that from those lyrics, I, I, I don't know. What are you looking at? What are you talking about? Even though the song is, these lyrics are interspersed with Black Lives Matter rallies from the George Floyd, you know, Breonna Taylor protests. But we're supposed to not think that, that that's not what he meant, y'all. CMT, for example, does not believe him. They have pulled the video for rotation. I'm kind of shocked it took all of this backlash for them to pull the video. Do they? It just, I guess, proves that nobody over there is really listening to the mainstream country lyrics anymore. Anyway, they're just playing what they feel like folks ought to hear. You know, I might. Oh, what are you about to say? Doesn't that even have like imagery from in front of a place where a dude got lynched? Yeah, that, 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 absolutely. There's a courthouse in the song that is pictured that is in front of yeah the courthouse where a black man was lynched back in the 1920s. So if you believe that's a coincidence, I got a courthouse to sell you. Yeah, I'm just I don't know, man. Like I, maybe I, Jason didn't. He might be able to pl- to plead ignorance. There is no way somebody connected with this didn't know what building they were filming in front of and didn't know the cultural significance. I'm just saying, when I saw the title, I didn't even hear the lyrics yet. And I went, right. I know this is some messed up stuff. I almost just cussed a whole sentence there. But like, you knew it was going to be bad. Like, I like because the only time you have heard that phrase as a person of color right. was, was preceding some messed up stuff. 
right? Yeah, like, it, was, it was never like talking about the local football team. It's, it's telling you uh, this is a sundown town for all day. Yeah, like, you know, that's what I'm saying. As soon as I heard the, the, the title, I went, mm-mm. I already know what's going to happen when I listen to this. Like, yeah, he can convince me and numerous other people of nothing else. But let's just let's just say he's yeah, I'm talking about small town values and caring about your neighbor and picking each other up. I don't believe you care about your neighbor, Jason, because the song also has lyrics talking about, you know, if you want to come get my gun or try and take it. And he was on stage during the infamous Las Vegas shooting where people the, the guy started mowing down people at a country concert so yeah you can't convince me you care that much about your neighbors jason or you might be concerned about them getting shot at your own damn concert yeah i don't know it, it, i just knew it was going to be a mess it, even in like why did you like you're gonna roll with that title even like you know what i mean and in your comparison of putting it to the you know the red white and blue or whatever that was what I would call like pro your thing, but it wasn't being hateful. It wasn't pushing, like you're saying, like the, the black lives rally or talking about using imagery from important recent movements or whatever, effectively trying to low key hate on somebody. Like those, those are very different. And that's uh, sad. And even, if, even if you disagree with or agree with the politics, just the whole Angry protest song took country music down a dark, dark hole where virtually no good music was even created. Like, okay, yeah, as I said, the apex of that is Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, which if you like Toby Keith's music, yeah, that sounds like any other Toby Keith song and got all the airplay. It got so bad at the end that no lie, Clint Black dropped a song called, I wish I were making this up, Iraq, I Rock, and I Roll. That's, that's, that's real, how bad it got doing the protest. And again, Clint Black is one of my favorite artists. But you, I, at that point, I was just like, blink twice if you need help, Clint. Somebody, somebody locked you in a room and made you do this is what I want to believe. But you know what? This comes basically on the heels of they country music had just gotten past the whole Morgan Wallen thing, right? Like we had about two years pass where – People went, okay, cool. We got that out of our system, whatever, because he was using just an outright racial slur. Yep. And he, then would, he, would, and he lost some of his radio airplay for as long as a few stations thought it would take people to forget that he had dropped the N-bomb. Yeah. No real financial or cultural repercussions. For real. He is now right back at the top of the charts and – probably has made, if anything, more money because a lot of people rallied around him and, and bought his bought his music to show, I guess, that they support using the N-word. I don't know what the message is if you go out and like buy multiple copies of his, of, of his CD if you didn't have them before, after he's dropped the racial slur. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. But I think it's the thing. It's just going to be there. It's, you know, yeah. for as much as we talk about it, it's not... There are parts of the country where that's super supported. The people are going to be blaring it. It just is what it is. You know, just keep an eye out for them WWBD stickers or whatever. You know, yeah. be around. Like, and by the way, those are real stickers. They are literally what would Bubba do? Those actually exist down south. And usually on a truck with a gun rack and stars and bars on the back somewhere. Yeah. Sadly. But, but that's real. But... Let's get into some other stuff. Let's talk about 
what we learned because I think we have some interesting things from two different categories for sure here. All right, well, we've got our uh, list of the most downloaded games in uh, U.S. and Canada. This is on PlayStation 5, but I'm sure the Xbox chart is going to look very similar to this, except for a couple of exclusives. Uh, most downloaded PS5 games in U.S. Canada during June of 2020, which is, this was the, the, the ginormous, you know, oh my God, Mega Diablo Final Fantasy month. So this will probably be the biggest month until, I guess, probably October or November. Of course, Diablo 4, most downloaded game. We've been talking about it. It's a phenomenon. It is making piles and piles of the money. Uh, Fantasy, fi- <laughs> Fantasy Final. Final Fantasy 16, number two. Street Fighter 6, number three, which if you ask me, that's if you'd ask me to handicap those three games, that's about the order I would have figured they came in in terms of in terms of game sales. What blows me away is number four, number five. Number four is Grand Theft Auto Five. People keep wondering, when is six coming out? They don't need to announce six. Grand Theft Auto Five is still a top five selling game after ten years. They are in no hurry. They have no reason to be in any hurry. Yeah, nope. there's no reason. If you're still ranked that high, you can take your time. Like, your studio's still definitely going to be financially set for a bit. You know it's being worked on, obviously. Hey, it may be close to finish, but there's zero financial reason for them to announce it until they need the boost. And uh, number five, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. That, that game's probably, what, I don't know, 20 years old now? It seems like it's been forever ago. But, you know, this is what we talk about on some games, like, one, if games stay popular and we know that genre's popular, like they're not incentivized to do major overhauls to it because they've already proven that the thing that hell, like you're saying, is decade old, still making money. People still like it, right? There's the issue, like we talk about Blizzard being slow to deliver games sometimes. And it's like, well, yeah, they didn't have to rush Diablo 4 because Diablo 3 was still making a pile of money. Like it's almost disincentivizes them to put out four so yeah. quick because like, hey, we ain't got all of our money. We want to get out of three yet. And that work is 90% done. All they're doing is updating stuff for different seasons or whatever, giving you a few new skins or some armor or something, letting it roll. You know what I mean? Like, so good on them. Yeah, Alan, uh, AEW fight forever at number 12. So I don't know what number they needed to hit to guarantee a sequel, but that's a whole that's a pretty big pile of money, so I'm assuming we're going to keep getting AEW games for a while, which is a good thing, because I'll tell you, the, the game is very, very buggy, but I still have, at this point, I'm sure, 40, 50 hours playing. It's just, there's, there's a lot of fun in it also. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another one. It's like, you know, there really wasn't a competitor to the WWE 2K series, and now there is, so that would probably be good for people that are fans of either company or either game in that genre because they'll probably both gonna have to step up their games now knowing that there's like real competition yeah kind of the same way with television there really wasn't any competition for wwe in terms of being the most popular wrestling promotion in the world and now we have that but you know this does bring up another thing when people talk about you know making all these new games and you know there's people spending all this money on new studio triple a titles or whatever you're having a hard time breaking in because you're not just competing against other new games. You have all these legacy products that aren't going anywhere. Yeah. You know, like we talked about like Diablo three ran forever. You've, you've got grand theft auto five still getting play, right? The uh, 
Call of Duty's of multiple types still getting play, right? Like you're having to cut into that where people already have this long-standing relationship, money they spend on these games, you know, their camaraderie, their friends all play. That's a lot to overcome sometimes for a new title. So when a new title breaks through to a high level, like it usually has to be exceptional these days. I just saw where somebody is delaying the release of their game because it's an RPG and it was going to previously drop the same weekend as Baldur's Gate. And, and that's obviously it was going to be a no, no. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. It's like, that's that's a disaster. You don't well, want to do you know, a shooter or a sports game or something where, you know, you got an audience that doesn't care about RPGs. The same genre like, yeah, you just you, you back up and let Baldur's Gate eat. Yeah, I, I honestly think if you're going to do something that's online based, you have to put real time, be exceptional, and have a real plan for it. Because the hardest thing to steal right now, or to steal, the hardest thing to get from people right now is time. Like, people will give you money. Yeah, let me go give you 40, 50, 60 bucks. We'll get to download this new title. We'll play it. I can be done with that in a few days or whatever. But people knowing that, like, ah, I'm going to have to play this for a couple hours a night for, like, a couple months it's hard to get them to dedicate to that when they have all these other great titles that are still out here. I mean, hell, I still haven't even played Diablo four yet. And that's on my radar. Once I start playing that, no extra games are probably going to be able to make it into my rotation for, I'm going to assume at least two months. Yeah. I'm a month away away from Madden dropping. And yeah, it's going to (laughs) consume all the amounts of my time to start doing content from Madden. So yeah, I mean, right now I have arena and team fight tactics. That third slot, probably gonna be diablo 4 at some point and then i don't touch another game for right. between the three of them it may be christmas you know what i mean like before talking about else. this you know if you're trying to like you make making content stuff so you would like to ideally be at least somewhat good at the game so that number one game in your slot takes up far more of your time than anything else arguably more than anything should but you know i also think this is kind of the the difficulty creators have because you have a lot of creators that sort of want to be variety streamers, right? Even within their own genre, they you know say within Magic, they might want to be play Arena and Nintendo's Pokemon and something else, right? But those work because they're legacy, right? People grew up with those. They have whole communities and online stores and whatever built around them. Trying to play just the new hot game every month or every week or whatever. It's hard to build an audience around that sometimes if you're not already a super exceptional personality. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad we are largely tied to magic because it ain't going nowhere anytime soon. <laughs> no, I heard it was dying. I've been hearing it's been well, dying for like 10, 15 years now. Yeah, it's been dying for like 17 years or so, according to everybody. Yet everybody still buys magic cards. So It's not good at dying. It doesn't understand how I'll dying tell you this. works. The biggest problem we have as fans i would say of in nearly anything is people will complain about a thing talk about it ending the franchise and all this stuff yet you're still handing over 20 dollars bills so you can be mad about it but if they're going to keep making money doing the thing you don't like why are they going to change it right like we're we are the perpetrators of our own problems like people just gotta gotta get over that but let me mention something else here, because obviously there's been a lot of strikes going on. You know, the writer strike, the now the actor strike, the UPS strike. And there's been a lot going on with creators, especially as like 
the whole MTG ambassador things come about. And I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But watching how people are reacting, both to creators and to the strikes, because the creators kind of get caught up in this because recently YouTube has said, hey, you're not going to be able to use your ad blocker on our site soon. I think they're going to give you like three videos a day or something. And then I guess I'm assuming the site just quits working for you or whatever till you turn off your ad blocker. Real curious as to how they do that. Yeah, I don't know. But it's Blizzard. I mean, it's Google and it's YouTube and they have piles of money. This is true. Plus, they essentially are the architects of the Internet, at least it's modern form. Yeah. I'm like, so if anybody can do it, it's probably them. I mean, People are like, I don't even know if that technology exists. Like, it may not. They might be it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But I got people up in arms complaining about, well, if I don't get to use my ad blocker, do creators have to stop putting in their 30-second ads for whatever company sponsoring their video? And I'm like, is that really what's bothering you? Like, somebody literally is giving you. Like, I don't think people understand. Even for a quality 15-minute video, Sometimes that person has recorded an hour, two hours, sometimes four or five hours worth of footage. So they have enough to clip and use for B-roll or whatever. Preach. <laughs> then had another hour session where they just tried to figure out where everything's going to go. So they can get their talking head parts in. And then they probably spend another one to three hours editing it, then loading it for some amount of time. And then some amount of time putting it out there, promoting it, talking about it, whatever. And you're upset. But they're going to say all of that assumes that everything worked properly the first time you edited or uploaded it. And oh, man, that's also true. Like, I can't count the number of times you're like, ah, my lighting, whatever. Or like, you know, you you realize in the background, you know, your your neighbor's (laughs) mowing the lawn came through on the background or your mic or whatever. Right. Like, there's always something. And then you were mad after all that. That person may have given you hell. Let's call it conservatively five hours to make that video and you're mad that they're taking 30 seconds to try to pay some bills like how and that's my question like i guess there's a two-part question one how much do you value what you're getting from that video or that creator and then two how much do you just outright value that creator either being part of your community part of your daily cycle whatever because giving up 30 seconds for a burned in ad and maybe let's say the average video is eight to 10 minutes. I don't know. Having to see one ad in the middle, maybe two for 30 seconds to a minute. That's it. Like your whole experience with them is only going to be, it's going to be under a quarter hour. A lot of times now, a little different if you're watching some of the gameplay videos, or whatever, because those are run 30 to 40 minutes and that I get that. That can be a little bit bothersome. I will say there's a lot of value in the the YouTube premium because, dude, I ain't going to lie. I got that, and I literally was like, why the hell didn't I have this two years ago? Like, it's it's brilliant. And you'd be supporting your creators more because I think per view, the YouTube premium views actually pay a little bit more. That aside, seeing people argue against these creators that oftentimes aren't making very much if anything because a bunch of people they're complaining about aren't even monetized yet you know they're just still struggling to get to that point having a lot of times people don't realize to get to monetization those people have spent sometimes a couple thousand dollars 
between equipment, editing, graphics, whatever, and giving up multiple nights for months sometimes to get there. And then you have the whole thing with the, the we'll call it Hollywood, you know, between the, the actors and, and the writers or whatever, and being mad that they're making the convention experience worse for them because they're not going to be there. You know, supporting the CEOs and the execs saying, oh, well, y'all should just go get another job. Like, bro, you're talking about studios. But let's use uh, 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 Iger, right? The the head of Disney. He's one of the, though, he's had some of the dumbest statements in this whole thing. And he's making, I believe, $25 million a year plus incentives and bonuses and just signed something, I think, that was going to give himself a raise. Yet complaining about literally people who work for him that can't pay rent. Like, you know how that's got much that's got to hurt you when you didn't even get enough for one month's rent off a movie that makes. Five hundred million dollars. A billion dollars in some cases like that, that's got to rub you the wrong way or you're working project to project because they won't sign you to a deal to pay you regularly to work for their studio or whatever, right? Hell, right now the issue is I saw some some people complaining because apparently they're just, which explains a lot, why things magically get disappeared from uh, the different streaming services. Because they, I guess, don't have to pay them because there's no more plays or views or whatever on it, however they're gauging it. Some percentage, I guess, of that was supposed to go to some number of studios or actors or something. And they're just going, nah, okay, cool. We got we got out of it. We're just going to move it on. So they don't have to pay anyone. Yet, I just saw a thing from Netflix. They're, they're moving their estimated earnings over up to $5 billion for the next quarter. Yet, you're saying you can't pay writers or whatever. Like, yo, so you're moving your estimate up a few billion. <laughs> but you're like, ah, but we ain't got money for that. Like, hell, not just that. You just piss a bunch of people off because now people can't share services or whatever. And you're trying to get people to buy more and you're moving your earnings count up and then going like, yeah, but I know you want more money, but we ain't got it. <laughs> like what? And seeing people support like people honestly believe. They are closer to money than they are far from it. And that's the sad part. Like, you're taking shots at all these creators. You know, people get a thing that they can do a video with, and you're like, ah, well, why did they get a free thing? I'm like, bruh, they've been making videos for you for three years. And you're going to be mad that they got a product for free? Like, for real? This is what we're doing? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, at some point, I need to get that sound bite. Just come on, man. Because that, that's really what I feel like. Like, you can't be mad at that. Like, if you are, it's just misguided. Seriously. But you know what? Like, that gives me a good opportunity. Let's, let's roll in and talk more about the Ambassador Program. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, you know, as it was coming about, what the Ambassador Program was, what I felt about it. I'd reached out to them. We had a conversation. They were interested in having me be part of the program. We got on a 
I guess you call it, I was going to say a Skype call, but it was really, I think, like a Google chat or whatever, whatever, a video call. And everything was good. Decided to sign some paperwork. So our listeners are going to be the first, I think. And maybe some of you, this might go up at the same time as a as a social post. But basically, our listeners are finding out right now that I am going to be joining the Magic Ambassador program. And I don't know, Brian, if you have any questions or anything, hop in, feel free to ask. But the thing for me is at the end of the day, this isn't anything crazy. This isn't wizards trying to stop negativity. This isn't, I wasn't even being told I can't speak negatively about wizards. I mean, hell, wizards that knows. Gonna be, that was going to be my first question. Just wizards knows well to. about our podcast. <laughs> like, that is not a secret. People at Wizards know we exist. Uh, they they've held they've had our podcast on their little thing of like which when they do their surveys which of these podcasts do you listen to or whatever so they know right they know we've said things and hell I've said stuff live when I've been doing commentary I have a YouTube channel where I've criticized the bannings and different things or whatever they know that and at no point in any part of the discussion was I discouraged from doing that the only thing that says like obviously you don't want to just be like dragging the product for no good reason but they don't hate the feedback. And when it's being done in a way that's at least smart and creative or at least bringing some critiques more than just saying, oh, I hate this and Wizards is garbage. Okay, cool. That's not going to solve anything. I've said it before. When you go to a person's video and you say, I hated this video. I was like, okay, cool. But what did you hate about it? You just being mad doesn't do anything. If there's something you don't like, what would you like to have seen instead? You know, same thing with Wizards. If you don't like a certain, like, ah, oh, man, it really would have been cool if y'all did this instead of that. Or like, ah, I wanted to play in this tournament, but the price is too high. Or whatever it is, right? At least you're giving context. And that's what I've done with everything. And at no point was that a point of contention. Even when it was mentioned, they're like, no, it's fine. Like, obviously, within reason, because, you know, if you're representing them or whatever. But they've also said, like, you're still going to be able to do all your regular content. Like, so... Now, there will be some required posts because, again, it's an ambassador program. So some number a couple times a month or whatever where you have to promote whatever the new product is or whatever. That's it is what it is. But beyond that, no, the rest is just you do you. You wouldn't even have to put the MTG ambassador tag on except for on the promotional things. They don't even want you to put it on the other things like you still do whatever it is you're doing, because the truth is for whatever it is that you do. In my case, it's the podcast and YouTube stuff. For other people, it's cosplaying. For some people, it's covering lore. For some people, it's competitive stuff, whatever. That's why they're bringing you into the program. So they don't want that to change. Probably for a few reasons. One, you're filling some niche or checking a box that they want in the program so they can engage that part of the community. Also, they think you're a good personality or person or whatever, and that's why they want you there. Also, this is a pilot program for now. Now, it will probably continue and they want to expand it to other countries. But at some point, they also want those different touch points so they can know what's working, what's not. Like, what is getting more views, what's not? How do they help different creators grow? Does it matter when they spotlight you or not or whatever? Right. And that helps them as well. So they want you to keep doing what you're doing. Otherwise, if everybody changed, it would skew all the results anyway. So it wouldn't even be beneficial to them to ask you to change. Because the truth is, they believe we each are doing better to engage different parts of the community than they would do. 
And they're right. <laughs> like, that's the thing at the end of the day. Like, we each speak to a different part of the community our own way on our own time with our own vibes or whatever that has a different appeal to part of the community. And they don't want to change that. If everything became homogenous, they might as well just go pay a studio to do a big ad campaign each month and then just save themselves the effort. But I also believe in the grand scheme of things, whatever they give or pay or whatever to any of these creators over the next two or three years is definitely going to be cheaper than it would be to pay an actual organized studio to go do that. And the truth is, when you pay those studios, you're not even guaranteed to get the engagement on a, let's call it return per dollar, as you would spending that on creators. And that that's the other topic, too. When people said, well, I think they should be paying more money and blah, 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 and this, that, instead of just sending a bunch of product. And we're like, cool. Now, they did say they're going to try to work on some things down the road once they know. Because here's the other thing, too. It's hard for a company to just say out of the gate. And I don't even know how many ambassadors there are. I don't know if there's 30 or there's 100 or whatever. I don't know the number. But for them to just make up a number and then just go pay people, they don't know what the return on that would be. So you kind of need this pilot period to figure stuff out anyway, if you are going to pay people. But that aside, even without that, the estimation of what they're going to send people, hell, I would say even between what I can expect to get between now and probably the end of the year in product alone is probably going to be between four and seven K. And that's not counting because they're making everybody these like custom because, you know, they used to send out custom kits to different creators. Now, most of those are going to go to people in the ambassador program. So those will still be going out. They're supposed to be making some type of I don't know if they're going to be monogrammed or custom rewards or gear or something for doing good work in, in the ambassador thing. So to have your name or your your handle or whatever on it. But all of that has a cost. And yeah, it's not like, yeah, if they send me seven thousand dollars worth of product, it probably only costs them like. 500 bucks or 1k or whatever like i get that i get how the math works but the reality is it's also money i'm not going to have to spend to review products right to have information as something goes live to basically make content better and easier without having to spend that extra money so it makes sense to be part of the program i really i'm probably gonna do a full video on this and break down like the different things that people want to know or whatever about the ambassador program but yeah, I I couldn't think of a reason to not do it, really, because effectively everybody else has a program like this. It's called something different. Like for some people, it's, you know, they're they have a cute name, like their social whatevers or their street team or whatever. But it, it's all the same thing. Right. It's whether that be product or cash, it's some way of compensating people to promote and use your stuff and keep it out in the world and keep you active on socials and all that stuff. This is the same thing. Honestly, this is what Wizards should have had a long time ago. They tried doing the everybody's welcome thing with the creator program and the streaming and all that stuff. But ultimately, that just results in a bunch of people, whether we want to say it or not, I'll say it. A bunch of people who were doing the bare minimum, hell, some of them barely doing the bare minimum, just so they could get early access stuff or whatever and weren't building an audience. They weren't getting viewers. They weren't doing anything to really help the game out yet. They're still paying stuff at the time with like stream elements to process the whole thing in the background and make sure they had codes and the customer service that went along with that and having social media managers and whatever. And they weren't getting anything. 
this way you're getting creators that you know are dedicated, that are good personalities, people for whatever reason, they have deemed them to be the type they want to reward and support and push and help those people grow and give them a bunch of stuff to make it easier for them. So like, I'm in. It was an easy sell. So now is this going to change? I guess there are other early access programs. Are they still doing those? No, early access is still going to be fine. Uh, I think there was a thing online where I'm not even going to give the person time by putting their name out there, but they tried to make it sound like this whole thing of this is how Wizards is going to cut out other creators and they're going to just make the early access only for the, the ambassadors and blah, blah. And it's like, first off, that doesn't even make sense. Because not all the ambassadors even play arena. A bunch of them don't even do streaming at all. So if you made it all ambassadors, at least a third, if not half of the people they're supporting, wouldn't even be playing early access. (laughs) So that would be stupid. The other is they still haven't moved it to all the other countries yet. And we know people from all over the world get to participate because it's a 24-hour thing where people all over the world are playing and watching. So even that says it, this isn't the whole purpose of the program. So as an idea and a concept of that, again, conspiracy theory, it's a terrible one. It, you think about it for two seconds, none of that logic holds. Like they don't want it to be just that. It's still going to be open to everybody. They're still going to work with other creators outside of the ambassador program for stuff at times. It just depends on what they need. You know, if it's a thing where they need a bunch of cosplayers, well, I'm an ambassador, but I'm not going to be involved in that thing. And they may only have five ambassadors that happen to be cosplayers, but they want to do a couple of video shoots or something in different parts of the country. They're probably going to have to go employ like 10 or 15 cosplayers for that project. Like that's still going to happen. So yeah, just one of those things. But yeah, content's not going to change. Nothing was even asked to change. There was no concerns, no threats, no (laughs) nothing. So... You know, people want to believe what they want to believe. I'm just putting it out there. Like, it was 100% non-issue. Like, it never even... Like, if I didn't bring anything up, it wasn't even going to come up to be mentioned. True true story. Like, literally said, like, no, we like your stuff. We want you to be part of the program. We don't want any of that to change. So I'm like, great. Then we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But yeah, let's talk about something else, though, here. Sort of related to that. Because Commander Masters is coming out soon. I think at this point, like another week, I think. But product's kind of expensive. The rent's too damn high. You know, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's where we're at for some people. And the weird thing is, this has led to people saying like, oh, well, Wizards is just trying to push this to be a collectible only product. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? I said, well, they don't want people playing the game. They just want it to be a collectible. And I was like, that's weird. Why, like, that's a real stretch to jump to. Because then that would basically say everything they've done in the last year would be irrelevant. Because they've built up all these Command Fest and Magic Cons, and they've even said, like, hey, we're going to be doing a push on Standard, and we're going to be doing some more stuff with that and helping stores. And, like, all of this is around players and people being present. So, like knowing those are working and they're wanting to increase each of those efforts, it would be weird to just be like, nah, you know, that all doesn't matter. We just like to sell in collectibles instead. 
plus if you did at some point, how do you sell those if there's no game? Right? If there's no players. Because because here's the other thing. Because somebody tries to say, oh, well, it works for sports cards. It's like, yeah, but that only works because those sports are popular. If nobody cared about LeBron or Kobe or Giannis or whoever, then nobody would be buying those cards and it wouldn't be worth value. That's an itch. I, I wish there was a way to test that, but I I I don't have one. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would. I and I think there's I, don't, a, I think there are some people like especially just we the, 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 that whole collectible thing. I think there are some people who do it just I mean I I know people that collect the card and then you ask them ask them to name 10 players maybe that, that are good players but don't have a card they probably can't do it cuz they yes, are more but, the collecting than they are the but everything around that person and the people interested in it only exists because those sports are popular. Like, because in theory, if you think about this, there are fewer MLS cards in the world than any, like if you take a, a rare MLS card that's an insert or whatever, there's fewer of those than there's going to be of, of an NBA card. But the MLS cards are all worth significantly less, even though there's less of them in the world. Because there's less people interested in it, less people. Well, that, that's major league. That, that's like major league, like U.S. soccer, right? Yeah, nobody. Sure, sure. But I'm just say saying, nobody. like popularity of a, the sports but, matter, though. But if you were to do FIFA, then the number of cards grows. But it, but again, it's because those sports are popular, right? If people quit playing soccer, or soccer wasn't a popular sport anymore, then a lot of those things lose value. And kind of the same thing with Magic, right? If nobody has interest in playing the game. Who are you selling the cards to? You would literally have to hope there's some magical yeah, world. Absolutely, people though that that just they sell cards but don't actually play the game. That they're not the majority, I don't think. But they're sure, not sure, sure. There will, people will always exist, but it becomes harder to move them. You know, because you have to have fans, you have to have people interested. Hell, you know as well as I do. There's some like we've talked about before on serialized cards. Some of them are randomly worth more because they have the player's jersey number in the sequence, right? If that doesn't exist and nobody cares about that player, then it's just an average card at that point. And I think that's the thing. Like, is this product expensive? Yes, it is. I don't know if it's, like, significantly more expensive than, say, like, the Double Masters and stuff. I mean, people forget. We had but Double single- Masters, though, is like, I mean, it's a different, or I think it's designed to be a different type of product. Double Masters is stuff you would actually be able to play in competitive formats, right? Yeah, sort of, in theory. <laughs> like, But you, there's a lot of playable cards in here, too. I mean, it's really like we we termed it Commander well, playable, Masters. Playable in Commander, right? Though Not like... Oh, no, cards- there, there's some you can definitely play in other stuff, too. I But we're we're hoping the appeal of a lot of the stuff is for commander players. Right. And I think my, my confusion is like commander is supposed to be a casual format. Yet this is this, like, we're talking about these, these, these are expensive packs. Sure. <laughs> to me, to, to me, if you tell me, and I guess maybe this is my personality. If you tell me we're playing for nothing, I'm going to bring my starter deck and I'll just gradually swap in cards that I like. But it, no, I mean, if you're telling me casual deck, my budget tops out at 50 bucks for the entire But, but you thing. know what, though? There's those same people that will want to proxy all of the best, you know, mana vaults, Sylvan libraries, blah, blah, whatever, in every one of their decks because they need to make sure every deck has it. Well, Even though they're only playing casual games. <laughs> 
you know, even though they're only playing casual games, they want to make sure that's in every deck, right? Those people exist. There's a lot of those people, actually. I was going to say those people exist. There's quite a few of them. I've run into that's because that's because some people will let them proxy. If nobody would let them proxy, yeah, then I guess they probably would would just use the other cards and try to make do. But I've said before, like, I don't even have a problem with somebody proxying a handful of cards. But my concern is when we're playing low level commander, low power levels and stuff, it doesn't make sense for us to use proxies because we're not trying to race to the biggest, most powerful thing. That's not the type of magic we're playing. Now, if you're playing competitive commander and, you know, everybody's tutoring and trying to finish games on turn three, four, five, like, okay, sure. Then it makes sense that you're trying to have the best possible thing in the deck all the time. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because if you think back, we had the commander master, or uh, the double masters that had the the single hundred card booster. And that was a thing people lost their minds at. And those sold out. Like, it's hard to even find those sealed for sale in a lot of places anymore. So I kind of get it, right? And we said before, at some point, Wizards are going to test, well, what is the high end of the market for each of these different types of products? And, and yeah, that's definitely happening. And yeah. that was that we expected that to happen. And honestly... Not surprised. I mean, at some point, I would say, like, I don't think they're necessarily trying to, they're not trying to price out all the players, but the player that probably just, probably the player that only planned to spend $50. Yeah, they are, yeah, even even if they didn't intend to. The benefit to this is the price on a lot of the reprinting cards is going to come down. So if you just want to buy singles and fill out your decks, a lot of these cards are going to drop by anywhere from 30 to 50% in price. Some more than that, because some are only valuable because they've only had one printing and they're just really old. So some are going to chop down 70-80%. So you don't necessarily have to go buy a booster to still benefit from this product being printed. Now, I get the FOMO of like, I'd like to buy some boosters. I want to play with these cards. You know, I get all that. So I'm not saying anybody's wrong for feeling that way. Totally understand. But I do also get Wizards' perspective as a business, or even Hasbro as a business, to look around and say, okay, you see all these other brands and all these other leagues and whatever having these super rare items, these things people are paying thousands of dollars for. And at some point you kind of go like, why don't we have that? Right? Not only are you the thing, you've become culturally significant. You are the largest thing in your category. Hell, practically the largest thing in tabletop games yet you're not part of that upper echelon that people think about high-end products, collectibles, whatever, because you don't have those offerings out there. For me, as long as it's reprints, I don't really have an issue. And I think this kind of comes back to like them wanting to make it a collectible, blah, blah, whatever. I think as long as it's reprints, we're okay. I think once it becomes, okay, where well, you're going to have to spend $50, 70 dollars $100, to get some non-reprint things, then it starts to become a bit of a problem. Because to play at all or to be on the same level as other people, there'd only be one way, right? And that's when I'd be concerned. Right now, it's inconvenient, but meh, price is going to come down on stuff. It's not worth fighting over. There's bigger fights we can fight. But when it starts to become price-gated to just get the baseline item, that's when I get a bit get a bit worried. 
But no, I think Commander Master is going to be fine. I mean, if I have any real gripe, it's going to be the same I have about most of the high-end products is that if you're going to sell me a high-end price product, especially if those be reprints get people excited or you're targeting a certain audience, I get that we want to have people draft with the set or whatever, but we got to quit putting the junky rares and mythics in there just for drafts. Like, we just got to quit. Because the average person is going to draft these more expensive products literally zero to three times. If you walk around and ask players at any game store, and I've asked a lot of players at a lot of stores, there's a few, there's going to be a handful that all they do is draft. They're going to be there once a week. They're going to draft for probably about six to eight weeks until the product runs out or whatever at that store. But the majority of your players are going to draft zero to three times. So to make the experience, the buying experience worse for everybody else just doesn't work out for me in a positive light. Especially imagine the number of people are going to be buying it at Target or Walmart, right? You're going to get that one booster and you might get a 50 cent rare that you spend on a whatever it's going to be like a eight or ten dollar booster or whatever, right? I wondered this, though. What person, let's say, for example, how many cards are in Commander Masters? Oh, gosh, I don't know. A bunch. I need to go look it up real quick. I know it's a lot. Say 300. I don't know. It's it's 300-ish, I think. As okay. far as unique cards, then of course all the different arts or whatever. Yeah, of that of that number, what percentage of those cards do you say see play? Oh man, I don't know. Like, if, well, I guess Commander would be a really because Commander's a hundred card thing. Yeah, Let's say like for that's a standard tough. set with three hundred cards. Out of three hundred cards, what percentage of those cards would you say are ever important in standard or any oh, you're talking about just in a regular standard set yeah it's a regular oh, set you're, you're gonna be talking about at best 20 percent, probably closer to 10 to 12 percent. that yeah that's that's about what i was thinking so at that point does the do the extra junkie rares really throw it off that far if 90 percent of the set is not ever going to be played anyway it does on reprint sets because they come with the higher price value that's the concern right And on a $4 set or $4 booster or whatever on a new set, we don't really know, right? That's still to be discovered what's going to be good, what's bad, what works with existing decks, what works with future cards, whatever. But when you're taking the time to curate a set and saying, hey, we're going to put a lot of desirable cards in here, so this is going to cost more than the regular $4. This is going to be an $8, $9, $10, $12 booster. Like you got to reduce the the floor has to be a lot higher or you're just going to get like then the feel bads are going to be way worse. Right. But if, according to, you know, like you said, they're they're making money hand over fist. I agree. So does it? <laughs> People are still going to buy them. I mean, but again, that's my only major gripe here is let's raise the floor because the fact that I can open a $10 booster and get the same negative experience i might get out of a four dollar booster as rough that's rough right the floor for me should be rares or mythics that have at least i would say around a three or four dollar value knowing that they're going to get chopped down some once the set hits so you're not opening up less than like a two dollar card now you still wouldn't be happy but at least it's not the worst thing possible and or the card should at least be something that's desired or played within that format you're reprinting cards for. So in this place, this case, Commander could have easily just gone to any of the big sites like EDH Rec or something, 
aggregate the top, I don't know, 500 cards that are played and then start looking at the rares or mythics and saying, okay, which ones are eligible to be reprinted that we can put into stuff or whatever. And I guess I should add another caveat. Any rare mythic that's come out in the last like six years probably doesn't even need to be in the set. Wow, that's kind of uh, that's an indictment right there. No, but what I'm saying is there's already plenty of those out there. They don't need to be oh, okay. reprinted yet, right? It, nobody's hurting to get their hands on those, right? If you're going to make a reprint set and you want it to be desirable, let's put stuff that's harder for people to get their hands on. Because I'd rather have have people opening. But since we, we kind of brought it up, like, okay, you said a lot, a lot of that is because of how easy they are to get. How many of the, the mythic rares, or what percentage of the mythic rares would you say of the past, you said six years? Yeah, six is a good number. Uh, how many of those are any good? <laughs> There's a fair amount, actually. Okay. There's a fair amount. But, again, I, I would rather people get to open a thing Especially you're talking because we know the life cycle of magic players at this point between six and seven years. So and that's why I said that number is that players may have started that have not had the opportunity to even get those other older rares or mythics at any point. So it could be more exciting to open a pack and be like, oh, okay, this isn't worth a lot, but I at least don't have one of these. You're dropping a whole lot of stats that I didn't know about. And I guess these are questions I should it should have occurred to me to ask you before. But you said that the average, because I don't want to bury it with the yeah, pretty yeah. important. It's six to six seven, seven years for years. players. Yeah. So okay, keeping that in mind, they really probably don't have to make a whole lot of adjustments to anything based on player feedback because the majority of players will be there for a minimum six years yeah. or at maximum seven years. That's I didn't. And also players do dip and return. That's the other thing, too. Right. There's some players that they may play for four or five years, quit. There's like a three year, five year gap and then they come back. Right. That's a thing we see a lot with magic players, too. But again. Opening up a pack, an expensive pack today to get cards that you already got like four years ago. Isn't that exciting? You know what I mean? Like you probably, oh, yeah, it's yeah. A, even if I had, even if it is of value, it's like, well, I already have those. Like, I don't need another one. But getting a thing that might only be two or three dollars from 10 years ago, you're like, hey, cool. At least I don't own one of these. So it takes away that feel bad of the floor of opening the pack. You know, it's an idea. I don't know. Yeah. We, you know, it's, I still rather just not have low value stuff in there, but it's whatever. Like, I'm looking for other ways that you can still save reprint equity for future sets but still get interesting stuff in people's hands, right? Because, yeah, there's some stuff on these lists that I'm, I'm just like, why? Like, no, nobody wants that. Like, there's some cards, <laughs> literally. I mean, you look at it and go, it's not really that playable in any deck. You go look at EDA Trek or whatever, It's nobody's playing with it. I, hell, there's some cards I've never seen anybody play with that are on the list. And I'm just like, why did we waste a slot on this card? Oh, I'm about to go get one of those cards now just to, <laughs> to yeah, be that fair. one dude. Go for it. Like, but that that's my only gripe. It's just like, cool, we can do this, but let's, let's try to make it a better buying experience. That's all I'm saying. Like, let's just up the game a little bit. That's all. Let's just make it a little bit better for people. But yeah, otherwise it's a, it's a fine set. I think it's going to sell well. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. I think people are going to, in in the end of everything, they're going to be excited about it. They're going to buy a lot of it. Prices, while high, have not gone insanely crazy. I think they've even scaled back a little bit since the announcement. So 
while they're still high, don't get me wrong, they are still high. They are definitely not as Especially high. Especially again, considering it's supposed to be a casual set. Yeah, but I, I'm I learned a long time ago. I don't equate casual with cost. I think, and that's a whole different conversation. We're gonna have to skip on this episode. We can talk about it in a future yeah. one. But I've said before, you know, the people who come in and talk complain about cost on regular formats, sixty card formats, will literally walk in once a month with a list of cards that are all rare foil, whatever, and be spending three times as much as some of the other people paying playing 60 card magic, right? And they're only playing kitchen table commander stuff. So it's all kind of relative. Like people say, oh, I'm a casual player, whatever, but they still want to have the best, most expensive, blinged out, rare version. You know how I've seen people now building commander decks out of all secret layer cards. Like that's apparently a, a trend now I've seen people doing. So yeah, it's it's a thing. So I mean, I can't again being and I guess I've seen it too much from the retail side. I can't really equate cost with casual. Now, there is that level of casual player that's a budget player, popper player, whatever. That is a real thing. But there are a lot of casuals that spend like they're they're trying to buy their way through. You know, like when people talk about pay to win, but then you realize they're buying a bunch of stuff and spending a bunch of money and they're not remotely competitive. It's a little weird, but people do it. But yeah, that may be a topic for next week for sure. But with us running long, let's have a quick chat here about the strikes one last time. And it doesn't need to be long, but I want to be clear that even if I wasn't doing content, hell, even before I was doing content, I supported creators. I supported strikes. Like there's so much money out there. And to take away any amount from the people that are legitly adding to our lives, whether that's instructional, entertainment, whatever educational while the people around them are making all the money and then being mad at them is <laughs> weird right like it, i can't justify and in many cases the people in charge are making as we've discussed here multiple times terrible decisions i'm fine with you you know getting an insanely big raise you know hey your company had had record profits but when, for example, like Disney the past year or so has taken a bath on a lot of high profile projects, how are you how are you getting bonuses? You know? I agree. I think there's too often we've seen where a new person will come in, they want to put their stamp on the company, they make four or five bad decisions, they have to cut, you know, a thousand jobs or whatever. And then at the end of the year, you hear that they got a ten million dollar bonus. And you're like, how? Like if you'd have taken Four million of that, you could have kept those thousand jobs. Exactly. I would always be very upset when I would see layoffs or heck be a part of layoffs in media. Then I would see, you know, the CEO gets this ridiculous rage or race. I think it was a Freudian slip. I said rage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did you figure out suddenly how to make newspapers profitable? You have some secret knowledge the rest of us don't have? And if so, why have you not used it yet? Yeah, I'm with you, man. It's it's crazy. And that that's one of the things that's always annoyed me. 
And that's why when people want to reply to my stuff or whatever, I'm like, you're not moving me off there. This is a hill I'll die on. Like, go out and try to do what any of these delivery drivers are doing. For, not even for one whole shift. Go do it for, go do a ride along. Go talk to one of them and see if you can just ride with them for two or three hours. And see how miserable and sweaty and tired you're going to be. Like, if you're, um, try working on a job on a project where you just aren't ever getting raises, where you can't pay your rent. Hell, some people are doing that right now, where you can't even pay your rent, but then you're going to be mad at somebody else in the same situation trying to get a little bit. Like, that's weird, man. It doesn't make sense. And like I said, now that I am a creator, like, I can tell you, living through it, like, just to put in perspective, like, for me to get paid, I have to do stuff like this, right? Record, edit, promote a podcast. I have to do the same for all my content. I had to literally learn and teach myself editing software because I'd never edited videos before, right? I have to spend time picking music. Even now, I'm trying to work with artists to get some custom music done. I have to work with artists that I'm some, you know, you get things and you have to go through all these iterations and you, maybe you end up having to find a second or a third one, right? trying to work with editors, which that's already been an ordeal to even get somebody to do editing to help out, right? And that comes with the cost. I have to go and look for people to promote myself to or to reach out to people. And that, that eats up time every week to get promotional deals, right? You have to deal with all the emails. And then if you do get a deal done, okay, I now have to make sure I get this extra content done every week, where that's making short form videos, long form videos, making social posts, whatever, responding to people, dealing with all the racist knuckleheads on top of everything else, you know, all of that to really just make like a solid monthly paycheck. Not even what I call great yet. Maybe eventually after all the efforts, it'll be great, you know, another couple of years from now. But just to get the basic and again, paying all my own taxes, paying my own insurance, doing all of that. And when people want to be mad, because I'm sure some people are going to listen to this and be mad that I'm even going to be an MTG ambassador now. And I'm like, so I go through all that. To give you something literally every day, because I've been giving people stuff every day for three and a half years on multiple different platforms. And you want to be mad that I'm getting a little scratch, saving a little money, whatever, getting some product and some information from Wizards of the Coast. So I can literally make more of the thing you like me making. Like, I can't get behind it. I can't. Like, and if you can't see you're in the wrong, well, we're just going to be on different sides of the issue. Because there ain't no way I'm moving off that. Like, I've seen it too much from too many angles. I know too many people dealing with things. Like, and and we we know in the U.S. we have a lot of issues as far as, like, pay disparity and all that good stuff. None of this is a secret. So if you're going to come out supporting... Healthcare disparity. Disparity. So many <laughs> disparities. Yeah, that's true. A lot of disparities. So if you're going to take up issue and support the other side of these arguments, then, like, maybe my content just ain't for you. And that's the, the, the frightening thing is to find out how many actors who, you know, just as somebody that, that, that does this theater and stuff. You think you see somebody on Netflix, especially. Oh, they've made it. They they have achieved the dream as an actor to find out that so many of my favorite actors for my favorite TV shows aren't even making it. It took twenty six thousand dollars to be able to get insurance as a Screen Actors Guild member. Which don't even make sense, honestly. Try living in California on twenty six million, I, I, or twenty million, twenty six thousand. 
Yeah, that's a real thing. There's people who now, because of streaming, that, and that's one of the things these fights are over, is they're trying to figure out how to make sure they're getting their proper percentage, right? Because it's one thing when everything was going to uh, syndication on TV or, you know, the box office, your contracts, you get a certain percentage, whatever, and you would just get these residual checks for however long, right? Like that was a thing. But now they can just move stuff to streaming. The deals haven't been aggregated the same way. And they can just pull the streaming video. And then now you're making no extra money, right? So you got a low contract and there's no residuals for you outside of the first couple months. So it's like, yeah, everything's changed and we just got to have the markets change with it. And also creators are dealing with that stuff right now, right? Because there was things where they were basically saying like, hey, you don't want to basically be a scab on Hollywood, right? So they don't want you taking promotional stuff to promote whatever hell's out right now. Um, Mission Impossible yeah, uh, or Barbie or whatever, right? And the man Markiplier actually is working on his own movie. So he's just trying to figure out yeah. what he can do and, and who he can work with. That's a real thing right now. The interesting thing, though, in all of this is that if they don't resolve these strikes in a timely manner, which... Right now, it seems like they're a bit of an impasse. So this could go a couple months, if not longer. This is a time for a lot of creators to kind of make hay a little bit. Right? Because people are going to be looking for new entertainment. Because ain't new stuff going to be coming to Netflix for a while. Like, even if these strikes are over, you still got to get all the projects done before they even show up on Netflix. Right? Yeah. So it might be four, five, six months till you find something in your genre you really want to watch or that's new. So creators might be able to make a little bit. Hell, it might be a good time for pro wrestling because they ain't got no time off. Yeah, I think Seth Rollins has mentioned that this is a time where wrestling can really take off because, you know, I guess uh, I don't even know that they tell you specifically who's writing everything, but I'm, I guess none of them are part of the guild. <laughs> no, they're definitely not part of the guild. They're, they're, a lot of them are just ex-wrestlers in some cases. But, I mean, they have writing staff. I know they're oh, sure, sure. some of them are former soap opera writers. So I'm wondering. Oh, those people probably walk. But, I mean, what are we going to say that is? Three or four people at each company? It's not. Yeah, and we know that uh, they, they're not. <laughs> they're not going to stop the show for yeah. strike. You, you'll just look at Michael P.S. Hayes and be like, dog, you got to help. I know you're a booker, but we need, need something this week. <laughs> like, you know. Shawn Michaels will step up and help with some stuff. It's like, yeah, it's it's a crazy time, though, man. Uh, I just don't direct your anger at the creators, right? They are not, most of them are not making the kind of money you think they're making. A bunch of them are just like you, struggling to get by, paying for their family, trying to pay their insurance. They got high rent like everybody else. And they are literally just trying to get a little bit to scrape by. And even if they reach the point where they are doing well, they are providing you with so much entertainment, so much education, so much information for free. Like it costs you nothing. Even Honestly, even if you have YouTube premium to watch your YouTube videos, that's still close to free. I mean, you're paying $12 a month or whatever for all of YouTube. You know, and it comes with like YouTube music and blah, blah, a bunch of other stuff. But it costs you no hell. And if you're following somebody on TikTok or on Facebook or 
Instagram or whatever. Those cost you nothing, nothing. So like, come on, like, don't don't hate on them. Like you're getting all this entertainment. Like you got to change your perspective. All right, Brian, went to everybody where they can find you on social media. We'll wrap this up. Right. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can find me everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And keep an eye out because I've got some cool videos coming where I'm going to be covering some magic hot takes, some intro videos, and probably even giving a detailed rundown of the if Ambassador you'd like to Program. further support Color of but Magic, as you always, wherever you're listening, whatever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family. And most importantly, remember to be awesome. And be awesome. You can also to each find other. us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 